All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. And welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, Chief Warrant Officer, second grade uh, helicopter pilot in Vietnam, 1969. We want to welcome you to our program today. Uh, it's a beautiful day in Ann Arbor, finally. The uh, storm has gone through. Power is being returned slowly. I want to make sure that before I get into the program that I thank my neighbor for running his generator and running an extension cord into the uh, Veterans Radio studios here in the basement. So thank you very much, John and uh we really greatly appreciate this, John and Jim, our local neighbors, uh, electricians uh, extraordinaire who kept us on the air today. So thanks, guys. I want to do that. Um, we're really excited about our program today. We're going to be talking with a number of authors um, about from a book called Beyond Belief, the True Stories of U.S. Navy Heroes That Defy Comprehension. This is the second in a series of books uh, entitled Beyond Belief. We've, uh, we had another program about these uh, a couple of months ago. And got a great response, so that's as soon as this one came out, I wanted to make sure that we got them on. But we have more authors uh, today, so I'll be introducing them later on. But the book is, is, as I mentioned, is a great story. It has Navy stories from back at the Revolution all the way up to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. So make sure that you stick around and listen today. I think you're going to be really fascinated. Uh, if you do want to make a call into the to the uh, program, you can by calling us at 734-822-1600, 734-822-1600. Um, before I get into the interviews, though, we got to make sure we thank our sponsors. We can't do uh, our program without their help, and we really do appreciate all the support that they give us. So starting off, number one, of course, is Legal Help for Veterans. Uh, Legal Help for Veterans specializes in veterans' disability claims, so call Legal Help for Veterans at 800-693-4800. The National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC, is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses. For more information, go to their website. That's nvbdc.org. Locally here in the Ann Arbor area, we have the Eisenhower Center. They specialize in the treatment of veterans, first responders, athletes, anyone suffering from post-traumatic stress, TBI, or a close head injury. The Eisenhower Center is more than just neural rehabilitation. They are personalized, multidimensional treatment centers, and they are expert therapeutic, uh, what they call COMPASS. They're working to ensure that your outcome far exceeds your prognosis. For more information with them, you can just go to EisenhowerCenter.com, or you can call them directly at 800-554-5543. U.S. Wings is the manufacturer and distributor of some of the finest leather flight jackets in the world. They also manufacture and sell all sorts of uh, military paraphernalia. They are also the suppliers of the free uh, flight jacket that we give away each month during our last program of every month on our benefits program. Make sure you go and register. You can't win the jacket if you don't register for it. Um, But anyway, go to uswings.com for more information. Stay tuned to find out uh, at the end of the month who wins this month's jacket. The Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, 
and of course our local veteran service organizations, the Vietnam Veterans of America Chapter 310, American Legion Post 46, VFW Post 423. To learn more about these organizations and the services that they provide, go to our website, veteransradio.net slash our sponsors. By the way, if you'd like to become a sponsor of Veterans Radio, go to the same place and you'll find out all the information that you need to help us out. One event that I really do need to promote this week, and that is the return of our uh, storytelling, There I Was. Um, as we we're saying, we're back after 18 months of not being able to record stories for our local veterans. We are back, and uh, this is going to be uh, on Thursday, the 19th of August, from 7 until 9 p.m., we're going to be at the VFW Post 423 on South Wagner Road in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So if you want to tell your story, this is the place to do it. If you want more information about it, you can send me an email. That's dale at veteransradio.net. This is where we get together. It's all veteran-centered. So you've, if you want to tell your stories, you're going to have a very appreciative audience because it's going to be all veterans. And... We just uh, tell funny stories. We tell some sad stories. We tell adventure stories, all of those things, just to get them out and make sure that we preserve them. Because if we don't tell our stories, nobody's going to know them. And we'd hate to have them forgotten. Thank goodness there are people like the people that have written Beyond Belief. How's that for a transition? Um, <laughs> so as I mentioned before, the name of the book is Beyond Belief. And the true stories of U.S. Navy heroes that defy comprehension. I'm going to start off by introducing uh, each guest just briefly. Uh, number one is Doug Sterner. Uh, Doug is the kind of the, um, I don't know, he's the one that got this whole thing started. I guess he's the, he's the one. He is uh, also in charge of another website, or not in charge any longer, but it's uh, been taking, writing the history of every single Seems like every single award uh, ever given out to anybody in the military, right, Doug? I pretty much limited myself to awards above the Bronze Star because that's about 430,000 awards in history, but I've got a few Bronze Stars in there, too. Well, uh, you can look up Doug Sterner on, uh, you know, on the Internet, and you'll find out all the things that he's been involved with. He spent years and years researching and cataloging and if you know of anybody who's won a silver star or you or, or earned a silver star and you want to find out if it's true where would they go doug uh they would go to military times uh hall of valor uh my silver stars are not fully complete uh i've got every marine corps in history has got a silver star and probably 90 percent of the navy uh, probably 80% of the Air Force, the Army, uh, my weakest areas are Vietnam and uh, the 1993 Mogadishu uh, event. But uh, so for the Army, I'm only about, uh, oh, 60% complete in history. All right. Well, we'll find, well, I'm sure that you will complete that. I know that's your goal in life is to get all that down, you and your wife, right? Right. Of course. I don't want to leave Pam out of it. Um, also <laughs> joining us uh, is, is uh Dwight Zimmerman, and Dwight is a very good friend of Veterans Radio. Uh, Dwight is an award-winning author. He also has a, he has his own book out about the Medal of Honor and numerous, numerous, numerous other stories. Hi, Dwight. Welcome back. Thank you, Dale. It's great to be here again. Uh, and uh, hello to everyone at uh, Veterans Radio. Uh, it's, it's really an honor, especially, you know, this latest uh, 
work on Beyond Belief, uh, we got some excellent, excellent stories. Absolutely, you do. So let me introduce the three people that haven't been on the program before. I'm going to start at the top of my screen. That's Colin Kimball. Colin, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you, Dale. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, uh, wait a second. I got this written down here. Some ways. Colin is a, an Air Force veteran, and he is also known as uh, writing many, many books. He's he's the one that's uh, down in Texas right now, and I'm sure he's pretty warm. Nice um, <laughs> <laughs> we also have Adam Ballard. Alan is a, uh, I, I believe, Alan, you're an active duty Marine, aren't you? Absolutely. That's correct. So you are still on on duty. Where are you uh, stationed currently? Uh, I'm currently serving in Camp Pendleton, California. I'm active duty in the Marine Corps, and I'm a combat instructor at the School of Infantry West Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. Okay. And he is also a contributing author to the, many of these tales in there. And finally, we have Jim Furlong. Uh, Jim is, uh, is also a, a combat infantry veteran, uh, from Vietnam. Uh, Jim is, lives in North, Northern Indiana and he's also a, a writer, storyteller. So Jim, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Well, thank you, Dale. I appreciate it. Okay. I, th- I want to get into this right away. And, um, so as I mentioned earlier on, we thought we'd have, have a, just a, a brief discussion, uh, starting with Doug of why did you decide to put this series together? I've been working on this database of military awards for like 25 years, and I'm not a spring chicken, and I don't know how many more years I'll be doing it, and I feel like it's a project that I need to complete, and so I I, uh, have lived a shotgun life with many different projects going on for many years, uh, including the Home of Heroes website that I began in 1998 a few years ago, uh, Legal Help for Veterans. bought the website and has got it going and they're doing a beautiful job with it. I no longer have that to divert my attention. And so I've tried to narrow my focus to where my days are solely based around building this database of those who have received awards above the bronze star. As I go through these citations, I run across some incredible, incredible stories. And, and I look at them and being a writer, I want to sit down and write the story behind the citation because it's so incredible, but I don't want to take the time away from the database. And so a year ago, I came up with the idea of maybe uh, putting it out there and seeing if there were other people that would like to take uh, a story suggestion, or maybe they already had one of their own that would fit and put it into a book. So we, uh, I announced it on Facebook. One of the first people to come on board uh, was Dwight, and he has been just, uh, oh, he took my dream and escalated beyond belief his understanding of, of publishing, of styles, of making a book look, you know, totally spectacular, just revolutionized the whole program and took it up a notch. And then other authors came in, some of them, I gave them suggestions based on a citation and they wrote a story. Someone came in and said, well, this story fits. Can I do this? And so for Veterans Day last year, we released the first Beyond Belief book. And I was so pleased with how it turned out. I thought, let's serialize this and we'll put out one book or or two books every year, one on Memorial Day and one on Veterans Day. And so I determined that we would do the next book on U.S. Navy heroes, primarily because I was itching to write this one particular story that's always been in my head and put it out there. And and these other authors came in and we put that together. We'll be putting out our third book on uh, 
Veterans Day, it's true stories of military chaplains. And we'll go on and on beyond that as long as uh, as I'm around. And I've already told Dwight when I kick the bucket, he's a you know younger man than I am. I hope he'll take the reins and, and keep it going because I think this could go on and on and on and be quite a thing. I, I, I can't agree with you more, Doug. I, I, it, there are so many stories out there, which is why we do our There I Was um, program every month. We just we, you know, we get behind the behind the awards and find out more about these people. I, I encourage people. I'll be, I'm going to say this many times, I know, during the program. But to, to check out Beyond Belief, the true stories of U.S. Navy heroes that defy comprehension. You'll find them really great stories. So moving right over to Dwight. Dwight, you've written, as I mentioned before, so many different military stories, and you've worked with many different outlets to get those stories out. You've worked with, I know you worked with Bill O'Reilly. You've worked, you wrote your own book on, on Medal of Honor recipients from the Iraq War in Afghanistan. Um, how do you feel about being involved in this? Well, I guess it's the curse of being the only civilian in this group. <laughs> That's all right. You more than make up for it. Well, and I have to say this is one of the things where, um, because I am a civilian, uh, you know, I, I, I walked into it saying, I know I don't, I'm ignorant. And uh, I grew up in the 1960s. Uh, my dad uh, served in the U.S. Army during World War II in Europe, in North Africa. And uh, I was always fascinated with mil military history. And, uh, well, you know, when I became uh, got into the publishing industry, and that's a long story, as you know, uh, and I had an opportunity to get on the military side of things, uh, I jumped at it. I worked, uh, collaborated with Stephen Ambrose, James McPherson, a uh, bunch of, uh, Phil Caputo on, uh, and uh, it, uh, well, it, it led to me uh, yeah, launching my own career. Uh, thank you for mentioning Uncommon Valor. That's the Medal of Honor book. Uh, that was one of the, I have to say that was, one of those, well, no, not one of, it was the most difficult book that I ever wrote because I was writing about young men, some of them even teenagers, and they received posthumous medals of honor. And no, you know, and I'm a fiend for research and I would do all kinds of research, you know, especially wanting to be true to these young men and what they did, knowing that however well I write it, I'm going to get something wrong. And uh, there were times where I would be approaching the moment in which they sacrificed their life. And I have to, and I'm not ashamed to say this, the tears started coming down. And I, 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 I had to walk away from the keyboard and compose myself and then just sit back down and push my way through. One of the greatest things in my life was I met the uh, commanding officer and uh, of one of the young men, as well as a sergeant whom this guy saved, uh, Ross McGinnis. Yep. And they both thanked me for that chapter. I think that's it's what all of you... It's the most humbling 
Yeah, I was going to say, I was thinking that that's something that probably everybody in our group today is that, you know, once you meet a family member and they thank you for telling their relative story. Is, is so Dale, I can't let you continue with interrupting <laughs> you and calling Dwight out on that lie he just told. That man is not ignorant by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> not any, not any. He edits. He edits these stories: Revolutionary War, Spanish American War, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq. And when he edits them, he says, "No, this is not correct. No, this is not correct." And that man's grasp of the military and military history is uh, amazing. I thought I was a historian. He makes me feel like an amateur. So I'm calling him out for saying that word ignorant. All right. Well, we, we won't let him say that anymore either. But I've got to get to the other folks here. So I'm going to I'm going to jump over to uh, let's jump over to Adam Ballard. Alan is the uh, Adam, excuse me, is uh, the active duty Marine. Adam, how did you get involved in this? Are, have you been writing before or is this the first time? Uh, so this was my first venture into anything to do with writing. Um, over the years, I've kind of tiptoed around the idea of potentially writing my own book. And I honestly dove headfirst in the project, not really knowing what to expect. And I'm extremely happy and thankful for the experience. Um, my decision to get involved is because I have a unique experience growing up. Um, my father is a Medal of Honor recipient. His name is Don Ballard. He received the Navy Congressional Medal of Honor for actions in Vietnam. And throughout my whole life, I grew up hearing these these stories of valor and, and heroism and self-sacrifice. And I really chose to write this story specifically about the Sullivan brothers because hearing these stories, I would more often than not meet much, much older people. And they would sit there and tell me these stories or it would be their wives telling me these stories. And it would really reach out to me because I would sit there and ponder the story and think, wow, this man has just recently passed. She's not got much time left. This could be the last time I hear this story. This could be the last time anyone hears this story. And it's unfortunate that there's not a large database of everything that's ever happened in the world. And hopefully one story at a time, we can change that. Right. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of us probably had that experience where we talked with an older veteran and suddenly said, wow, this, the world has to know about this person and or this is the last chance. I know that's what motivated me to, to uh, start Veterans Radio was talking to an old World War II veteran. And his wife said he hasn't told that, that story in you know 50 years or something. And I didn't even know half of that. And so you know that something's there. Uh, Jim Furlong, how about you? How'd you get involved in this? I'm probably one of the more accidental authors that's out there. And, and I'm probably also uh, the poster child for being able to reinvent yourself when you're 74 years old. This is the first time I've ever published. Uh, Good for you. And I came really kind of accidentally by it. I'm a friend of a guy on Facebook who's a re, uh, retired Marine. His name is Fred Wingfield, and Fred posted a story about my subject, Charles Jackson French. And and Fred, being a Marine and myself being a, an Army vet, kind of recognized that this vet was not properly recognized for the heroism he had performed. So, you know, knowing Doug was out there, I passed it on to Doug and said, Doug, what do you think about this? And, of course, 
obviously, Doug, this was part of the concept already. You were already starting to write the book about Navy veterans. Uh, and he threw down the gauntlet, and I picked it up. He said, why don't you go out and write about it? So I did a storyboard and uh, sent it on to Doug, and he goes, man, it sounds like you're on the right track. Uh, and I really got into doing the research. I, I don't know, Dwight, you're a longtime author. The research is really fascinating uh, it to, is. to do. Uh, you know, so I'm, you know, I, I think the, the research does the background work. So the author and the, uh, the readers get into uh, the gist of the story. Um, my guy was a black man. Uh, he was a mess man in the Second World War, which meant he was served in the officer's mess, uh, all the white officers at that time. And he was on the USS Gregory, which was torpedoed uh, right off of Guadalcanal. And he got into the water, and because they had been shelled so bad, the lifeboats were supposed to have uh, motors on them, but their motor had been uh, destroyed by the shrapnel. And so they were drifting, and they started drifting towards uh, Japanese-held territory, who opened up fire on this lifeboat. And my guy tied a rope around his waist and jumped in the water about 125, 130 in the morning, and swam until they were rescued the next day at about 7.56, according to the official records. So he swam for over six hours, uh, towing these, these people away from danger. It's a fascinating story. And unfortunately, two things. Number one, unfortunately, I don't think he got the recognition. He got a letter of commendation from an admiral. I won't mention his name. Uh, he's pretty well respected, but he also... It was, it's a very, I wish this had a, a happier ending. It's very tragic. He died at 37 years old of alcoholism. Now, today, I would hope that the VA would jump in uh, and say, this guy's got PTSD, and they'd, they'd take care of him. But back then, you know, they thought it was shell shock, and if you were away from the shells, you shouldn't be shocked anymore. So I mean, yeah. they just didn't <laughs> understand I mean, the long-term effects of, of PTSD back in World War II. Right. We're going to come back to that story later on. Uh, introduce Can I jump in real quick here? Because Jim just exhibited the, the traits that make a true hero. They always talk about others. But Jim is one of the 1,300 out of 3 million men who served in Vietnam. Only 1,300 were awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. That's that's a big deal for our audience. That's a very big deal. Yeah. Right. Oh, let me introduce Colin Kimball up there in a corner of my Zoom screen. Um, Colin, welcome to Veterans Radio. How did uh, how did Doug rope you into this? Well, I uh, I kind of go at this backwards. I'm a portrait artist, and so I like to do portraits of our fallen. I have over 80 really? portraits of our local heroes in uh, Collin County, Texas, north of Dallas, in our courthouse, and uh, and and I use the portraits to, as a trick to get people to be interested in them, so that you'll read their stories. Uh, so I'm kind of drifting away, not away, but I am adding to, I guess, uh, by writing some of the uh, the bios of some of these guys. And I became acquainted with Doug uh, through his work on Stolen Bauer issues, which is uh, something that I uh, am passionate about, uh, finding those that, you know, that are keeping right. in mind. And um, I, I was honored to 
get the chance to write two stories in the last edition. Uh, I proposed two stories for this edition, which were accepted, and he gave me a third. So now I'm working on some more for the next one on uh, chaplains. That's 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 great. I want to. We're going to come back to all of our guests today. We're going to take a. We're coming up on our break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you to kind of, you know, give us the Reader's Digest version of each of the stories. Not each of your stories, but the ones that you'd like our audience to think about. Because I don't want to give the book away. I want people to go out and buy the book and uh, read all of these stories. So for the audience out there, we're talking again with the authors of Beyond Belief, True Stories of the U.S. Navy Heroes that Defy Comprehension from the beginning of the country right up almost till today. So stick around. We're going to take a break, as I mentioned, and we will be back shortly. You're listening to Veterans Radio. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Lieutenant Edward Isaac escaped twice from the Germans during World War I. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Isaac was captured and held as a prisoner on board the German submarine U-90 when the USS President Lincoln was attacked and sunk. Upon the return of the submarine to Germany, he was confined in a prison camp. During his stay on the U-90, he obtained information of the movements of German submarines, which was so important that he determined to escape with a view to making this information available to the U.S. and Allied naval authorities. In attempting to carry out this plan, he jumped through the window of a rapidly moving train at the imminent risk of death, not only from the nature of the act itself, but from the fire of the armed German soldiers who were guarding him. Having been recaptured and reconfined, Lieutenant Isaac made a second successful attempt to escape, breaking his way through barbed wire fences and deliberately drawing the fire of the armed guards in the hope of permitting others to escape during the confusion. He made his way through the mountains of southwestern Germany, having only raw vegetables for food, and at the end, swam the Rhine River during the night in the immediate vicinity of German sentries to reach Allied forces. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative maybe it's you even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support you don't need special training to help a veteran in your life we can all help someone going through a difficult time learn how you can be there for veterans visit veteranscrisisline.net veteranscrisisline.net a message from the u.s department of veterans affairs And we're back here on Veterans Radio, and we're talking with a group of authors that all contributed to a new book entitled Beyond Belief, True Stories of United States Navy Heroes that Defy Comprehension. Um, we found out the reason why they got involved in writing this book. Now we're going to ask them all to kind of give us a brief synopsis of the story that they were in charge of. And so I'm going to start off with Doug. Which story is it that you would like? This is Doug Sterner. He's kind of the, the leader of the pack here. <laughs> Well, the story that I chose, uh, I chose, was the reason why I chose Navy to be the next book. I wanted to write the story. In fact, 
I thought it was going to be the cover story until Dwight turned in an even better one for the cover. But uh, the story is that of Richard Knott Antrim, a Naval Academy graduate uh, who was a prisoner of war in World War II. Uh, he earned the Navy Cross during the sinking of his ship, the USS Pope, uh, later as a prisoner of war. Late in the war, as the Allies were approaching the area where the prisoner of war camp was located, uh, he was instructed by the camp commandant to take the prisoners out, and they were supposed to dig trenches that the Japanese would then be able to u- use to repel an invading force. And uh, Richard Nod Antrim went to the commander and told him that his design was all off, that it was not a good system and that it should be redesigned. And the camp commandant gave him permission and he went back out and redesigned the trenches and the POWs dug them. And uh, the upshot of it was from the air, when American aircraft flew over, they looked out at that series of trenches and they spelled out a giant U.S. to tell them that American POWs were down there. And for that, he awarded the Bronze Star. He came home after the war and tried to get on with his life, but stories of what he had done one day in April of 1942, shortly after he had been taken prisoner, uh, just began to circulate, and it was it was legendary. A young Navy lieutenant had failed to bow low enough to a Japanese guard and was brutally beaten. Uh, Richard Nod Antrim broke with the protocol and tried to intercede in his behalf, something that the prisoners had never done before. They always walked around, eyes down, uh, broken and beaten. And in this case, Richard Nod Antrim stepped in. The camp commandant came out and decided that he was going to teach everyone a lesson. He would hold a court and they would decide whether or not this lieutenant should be punished. And after a kangaroo court, he instructed that the lieutenant was guilty of not showing proper respect and ordered him to 40 lashes with a hawser, a a large uh, rope used by naval forces. And after a couple of Lashes with the hawser. The young lieutenant was laying on the ground, broken, bleeding, uh, near death. And Richard Nod Antrim stepped up and looked at com- Commandant in the eyes, and he said, that will be enough. And the whole camp was stunned. No prisoner had ever dared to even look their captors in the eyes, much less defy them. And in shock, the camp commandant looked up at him and said, what did you say? And in a strong voice, Richard Nod Antrim said, I said that will be enough. If there are to be 40 lashes, I will take the rest. And it so stunned the Japanese camp commander and those around him to see that kind of courage and sacrificial spirit. The camp commandant just got up and walked back to his hut. The camp broke into cheers and his Medal of Honor citation says that thereafter improvement of prisoners Conditions came as a direct result of Richard Knott Antrim's uh, heroic action. In fact, when uh, Harry Truman presented him the Medal of Honor, of course, you know Harry Truman was a combat veteran of World War One and had great respect for the Medal of Honor. Whenever he presented it, he always said, I would rather have this medal than be president. And then he said something different to Richard Knott Antrim, and yet profound. He looked at him and he said, you did a mighty fine thing. Thank you. Great story. This is part of the book, folks. This is part of the story. Um, Colin, let's, I'm going to jump up to you. Tell us which one you'd like, you'd want to talk about today. Mine is the Devotion to Duty. It's a story about a landing craft tank, LCT 540, 
that uh, participated in the uh, Normandy invasion on Omaha Beach. Um, I was writing about a dear friend of mine named Bill Wilhoyt, who received the Navy Cross on that mission, and he was a young uh, college student in February of 1944 at Georgia Tech, enrolled in the ROTC when the Navy plucked him out of school and and gave him just some very rudimentary rent, rudimentary training uh, on operating these LCTs and sent him to Europe two weeks before D-Day and made him a relief officer. He was the most inexperienced man on the uh, on the boat and 900 yards off of uh, Omaha Beach. Um, the pilot house was struck by a German 88 millimeter round and the skipper, Nye Moses, uh, was, was mortally wounded and now he was in charge. And it turned out he was the very first LCT to hit the beach. That was something we discovered in our research. Uh, I wrote the book with his uh, daughter, Betsy, and um, shall I say, wrote the story with his daughter, Betsy. At any rate, uh, he, he, he rose to the equation or to the occasion and received the Navy cross, came home from the war, put it behind him. He was married to his wife for five years before she ever knew he was a genuine hero. And I had the honor of being his chauffeur for the last couple of years of his life uh, to the uh, Legion of Valor meetings for uh, here in Dallas. And so he was quite a remarkable man. Oh, that's a great story. All, obviously, all of these are great stories <laughs> to our audience. I want to make sure, again, check these out. You won't believe what these men and women have done uh, to earn these awards. Um, Adam, let's talk about the Sullivans. Absolutely. So the story that I had originally chosen and written about was the Sullivan brothers and you know, you can't keep many secrets um, when it comes to history. So, I, I mean, this story, it's about five brothers who had served in combat conditions during World War II in the United States Navy. And regrettably, they were all killed in action. And the important part of the story, I mean, we all know the ending. The important part is how they got to this position. What led these gentlemen to be in service of their country? Some of them had already served honorably. Others would have qualified for deferments. Um, some of them just didn't have to serve in general because of their family's previous commitment, but they all stood up and said, you know, we're in this together. This is what we are going to do. And the after effects of what happened to them and how it contributed to the war effort, what their sacrifice did for the nation at war in regards to collecting war bonds and the paradement of their family. I mean, could you imagine being in such an emotional wreck, having just lost five of your children to then be drug across the nation to buy war bonds for the U.S. military using that story. It, it's an incredible story of self-sacrifice of an entire family, generation of brothers just going forward and that whole family just in general serving that nation. It, it's quite a story. And I was actually incredibly happy to be a part of writing for the Sullivan brothers. It's one of those stories that isn't heard very often, but it's such a defining moment in World War II that it's a surprise that it isn't talked about right. as often as it should be. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Adam. We're talking with Adam Ballard here about the Sullivan brothers. I was familiar with the story, but I wasn't familiar with the background. And that's what I really enjoyed about all of your stories, gentlemen, is that you go into the background of these people and we find out where they came from and what their family was like. And, you know, what did they do in high school or what did they do in college? And, 
you know, and then the relationships of how they, how they met the people that, you know, that either they saved or they, you know, or, or, or somebody saved them. And it's, it's, uh, it was, it's, they're all great stories. So again, I encourage everybody to go out and check this book out beyond belief, true stories of us Navy heroes that defy comprehension. Uh, Jim Furlong, I'm going to go to you right now. Tell us your story. Well, again, I think I've, uh, I kind of snuck ahead of you guys a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, uh, but, but that's Charles okay. Jackson French was a, a very brave man who I think was, uh, um, under recognized for the effort and the heroism that he performed. Uh, he was on the USS Gregory off Guadalcanal. And, uh, when this all happened, the ship was first shot on at 1258. I should say 0058 military time. Uh, was first shot on at 0058 and sunk at 128. So within 30 minutes, uh, the ship went to the bottom. Uh, French was apparently a strong swimmer and it, it's hard. We kind of delved into how speculating as to how he became such a strong swimmer, uh, because growing up a black man in the Jim Crow era, he probably wasn't given much of an opportunity. Uh, to learn how to swim. So he probably went up to the Red River there in North Texas. Uh, and, uh, he was from Foreman, Arkansas and, uh, and learned how to swim up there. Uh, the other thing I ne- neglected to say when I started telling the story, he literally walked off the ship into the water. I mean, he didn't jump. He didn't dive. Uh, there was an abandoned ship order out. He walked into the water, swam saw the lifeboat, swam to the lifeboat. They brought him in. And and two things are extraordinary about his effort. Number one, it was shark-infested waters, okay? And the survivors all noted that the sharks were circling, uh, and yet they left him alone for some reason. He said one time somebody had nibbled on his toes, uh, one of the sharks. So uh, So that was pretty amazing. And the other thing is when he got to, uh, when they were rescued and, and in a safe area at Guadalcanal, he was with his shipmates and a couple of shore policemen came up and told him to go, quote unquote, where the colored boys were. Uh, and his shipmates stood up for him. And I thought that was very courageous on their part, given the, the background at the time in the country uh, of segregation and the armed forces and everything like that. He was... Uh, he was quite an amazing man. Unfortunately, the bottle got to him, and and that's the sad thing. And it gets to a lot. I, I mean, you know, I'm involved with a lot of uh, veterans at vet centers and everything like that. It's very easy to succumb to it uh, when you're trying to kill your demons. It's the only thing that sometimes quiets the demons in you uh, and everything. So, so he only lived what, 11, 12 years after he was rescued. Um, and he was actually uh, honorably discharged from the Navy, uh, but it's quite apparent uh, he was hospitalized for like 14 or 15 months uh, in the intervening time between 1942, which is when the ship was uh, sunk in Guadalcanal, uh, and he was discharged from the military in 19... 19- late 1944. Um, he was actually in San Diego on a ship uh, that was another troop transport. See, that was the ship he was on initially. It was a troop transport. And they're rightly armed. And he's on there. And, of course, scuttlebutt being what it is in the Navy, 
Uh, he probably got wind of the fact that they were going to be involved in another invasion, uh, only this time closer to the mainland. Uh, and it was uh, the, the ship that he had been on before he went into the hospital for his last time uh, did serve in Iwo Jima and uh, uh, Okinawa, uh, led troops up there and, and let them off. But I can only imagine what was going through his mind when he thought he would be put in that same situation again, possibly. You know, I, I can't imagine. It's, it's just like almost anybody who's ever been in the military. If you've been in some terrible battle and then they send you right back into another terrible battle and yeah. you know, somehow you survived the first time and you, you, you know, luckily we were all young at the time and, you know, we figured that we're in, you know, we're just, nothing's ever going to happen to us. We're indestructible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it might happen to somebody else, but not to me. And yeah. um, so you can you can imagine if you're being sent back into an, uh, something similar, what the toll is going to do on you. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Jim, very much. Uh, Dwight, you've got a couple of them, as, as Doug pointed out at the beginning of our little interview here. You talked about a, a, a gentleman that was performed an appendectomy on a submarine, no less. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That he wasn't supposed to. He almost got court-martialed for it. <laughs> you know, but cooler heads, you know, and uh, I, yeah, yeah, and Doug wanted to, you know, decided that that was going to be the cover feature. Uh, that was an <clears throat> accident of circumstance. But uh, before I get into that, I just want to touch on a couple things that were mentioned earlier that I think are important. And it's the context. You know, we talked about, yes, the heroic action themselves, but taken in isolation, they really have no meaning. So many of these people were just ordinary individuals. You know, if you, you know, if you looked at them, you know, you know, based on their lives, you know, their past history prior to, you know, the event which we wrote about, you'd say, there's nothing special about these individuals. Yet, at the moment that it came, they rose to the occasion, no matter how humble, in some cases, some of these guys were, uh, you know, the kind of person you would ex- live up to, you know, like a quarterback or, you know, a, a star athlete, et cetera, et cetera. But so many of these guys were just ordinary people, you know, from, from humble background. Uh, the book, you know, Beyond Belief, uh, what I'm really happy about is that we cover a broad swath of the U.S. Navy operations, starting, you know, historically, the uh, Barbary Pirates with Stephen Decatur in what, what we would now call a special operations mission. Uh, most of the, uh, we got stories in the Civil War. A lot of them are in World War II and in Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan. Um, yeah, even though, you know, I, I, I'm really proud of the, uh, you know, the story about uh, this uh, corpsman who jury-rigged a appendectomy operation for which he had no experience, though he had been in surgical. Uh, uh, he had witnessed appendectomies, uh, and thus he had a working knowledge, even though this was the first time he was doing it, and you know uh, he had a jury rig. You know, his uh, instruments using spoons, um, uh, you know, they, they brought in a floodlight, 
Uh, it's in a submarine. They got down as low, you know, as low as they could underneath, you know, the sea and then ran as level as possible. I, it was just really an extraordinary thing. But the story that I actually want to talk about, uh, occurred in Vietnam. It's the origin of Top Gun. Hey. Now oh. you, you would, yeah, well, the thing about that is, um, it's, you know, for as dangerous as the enemy that's shooting at you is, and I don't take away from that, is the more vulnerable enemy is the one wearing your, the same uniform you do, but he's sitting behind a desk in office far away from the front. And such was the case with the U.S. Navy aviation going into Vietnam. World War II and Korea, U.S. Navy fighter pilots were among the best in the, you know, in the business. We had a great reputation. But we go into Vietnam, and the North Vietnamese pilots in obsolete aircraft using obsolete tactics are cleaning our clock. Their, their kill ratio to, with us was... Uh, almost two to one, three to one. It was some ridiculous single you know, number. I forget exactly. Whereas in World War II, it was more like 20 to one. And, you know, everyone's going crazy for trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. You know, did we suddenly forget how to fly? Well, there's a long story on all, all that. The upshot was that we had changed tactics and also changed the type of airplane that we were you know, fighting uh, with, and uh, we went from dogfighting to a different type of tactic using, you know, missiles. Long story short, uh, Navy, you know, the Navy bureaucracy refused to accept that we had screwed up, that there was something wrong with the pilots, not with doctrine. And Dan Peterson was charged with, um, you know, setting up a new program, which ultimately became called Top Gun. It was on a shoestring operation. Um, he had to, it, it was just, it was such an amazing story that, you, uh, that he had to, his largest fight was against Navy bureaucracy just to get this whole thing and up, uh, up and running and working. Well, we know that he succeeded in everything, and this was just such an amazing story of a man and his you know, dedicated team that bucked the system and made it work. Well, I think I, you know, I think many of the stories that are, that are in this book are about people who are kind of. Um, went to plan B or kind of disregarded the uh, senior officer said, you you can't do that. And the next thing you know, they're doing it. I mean, you can go all the way back. You've, there's a story in here about, you know, in Korea with McCarthy, uh, MacArthur. I mean, uh, you've got all kinds of great stories in here, pilots and so forth. Um, we've got about 10 minutes left, a little bit less than that. Uh, let's go to some other stories that you guys would like well, to can talk about. Can I interject one thing quick? that Blake was mentioning there? Hold if on. I may. I'm going to go to Doug first, Jim. Hold on. Okay, go ahead. 
I want to piggyback off what both you and Dwight have said about these were people that did the unexpected, what what you would not expect, and piggyback off that because that is also another underlying precept of the Beyond Belief stories. Dwight and I are authors. We write. We both write prolifically. But Colin is a an artist, and uh, Adam's a Marine, and by the way, he didn't send his story in written in crayon. <laughs> and, and Jim is a retired hero. They are not writers, but they chose to do the unlikely thing and write about heroes. And, um, you know, sometimes I think you, you see the ball patch there on Dwight's head. I think he's seen some of the stories and he starts pulling his his hair out because we but but we work as a team. Nothing good is ever accomplished by one person alone. Teamwork gets it done, and these guys stepped up, and I'm glad you're reinventing yourself, Jim. Adam, the highlight for me is when your dad gets that copy of your book and sees your name in there and says, hey, this is my son, and he did this. So, you know, to me, that's another. There are stories of uncommon heroes written by uncommon authors. I think I I agree. I, I think it's great. It's going to be, you know, uh, Adam's dad is going to be known as, you know, I'm the father of Adam. Yeah. Know, instead of, instead yeah. of the other way around. I think that's great. Uh, Jim, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to piggyback a little bit on what Dwight said uh, about having the buck bureaucracy. I mean, I obviously went through lots of training before I ended up in Vietnam. And the first thing I did when I went to the 25th Infantry Division was they send you to school. Okay. And the first thing they tell you is forget everything you learned in AIT because it was World War II tactics. And then they try to tell you about, I never learned about booby traps. I never learned about trip wires. I, none of this stuff. It was all new to me. And, uh, and so, you know, somebody in the 25th Infantry Division probably said, yeah, you know, we'll get too many guys killed out there because they're not alert on, on some of this stuff. So Dwight, I, I see you 100%. And then, I went and saw the movie Black Hawk Down with my son, okay? And when they were in the streets there of Mogadishu, I, I thought to myself, haven't we learned anything? You know, the bureaucracy was so slow about responding uh, and everything like that. So it, it just seemed amazing to me that uh, we get this pig-headed way that this is the best way to do it, and we never think about altering it. Uh, Adam, hopefully you buck the, uh, the, the military there every once in a while and get those guys some good training. I Absolutely. It, I do my best. <laughs> well, it takes, it, it takes, actually it takes, I would suggest that, you know, that you might want to send this book to the upper brass in the Navy and all the other different series that you have, send it to the upper brass because it, you know, it, it's the people in your stories that are, you know, that win these wars. They're the ones that, that, kind of change the rules in midstream there's dwight pointed out you know what we've said on our program these are the ordinary people who do extraordinary things in the service of their country and then when they're done most of them go home and you know try to live as normal a life as possible after that and i, I think that that's really important with you know and, I, and i'm reading the stories and you know jim you mentioned you know the uh, discrimination of, of not only the person in your story, there was another one in there was a pilot and, uh, and they didn't receive the awards that they were entitled to. And I realize that it's a different time now and that we're more, we're much more aware 
of some of these things that occurred. Uh, but wouldn't it be nice if we could go back and get these people the awards that they deserve? It's yeah. sort of like the upgrading of many of these people who got distinguished service crosses are being upgraded to Medal of Honors now. And, yeah. you know, going back to, to the French and, you know, upgrading his letter of commendation to an actual award. Can you imagine what that would do to his family? Uh, I think he died childless. Uh, but, but still, I, I, I think there's enough people out there that know of this story uh, from the people he rescued. Now, you know, maybe some of the initial survivors aren't there anymore. And that, of course, Doug, I'm sure you understand, that makes it very difficult if you don't have enough witnesses uh, that will sit down and swear that this is what happened. Uh, this story was told to an Associated Press writer from one of the survivors. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have ever been heard of. Okay. No, and I think, uh, and there are many of your stories that are like that, that, yeah. are, that are in this in this compilation of, of stories, I, I, I'm, I'm so proud of, of, of knowing all of you uh, and that I'm able to bring this story to our audience. And I can't hardly wait until the next one comes out about the chaplains. Um, so we've got we've got three minutes to go. So I'm going to give each of you a second or two to, to make a final comment. And I'm going to start up to the top with Colin. So, Colin, thanks for being on the program. You can go. Uh, thank you. I'll just have to say that uh, talking about beyond belief, but I've got some artwork in this room that was uh, sold to my mother-in-law by uh, the mother of one of the Navy SEALs that we lost in the shoot down of extortion 17 and uh, chief petty officer, Robert Reeves, who was a young man that I knew when he was a young boy. And I just was tickled to death to learn this morning that I'm surrounded by artwork that came from a very patriotic family. Uh, that's great. Adam, how about you? I would just say uh, a big takeaway from the Beyond Belief series in general is, like we talked about several conversations before, that these are just normal people, normal men and women that serve their nation. The Sullivan brothers are just, you know, a few boys from Waterloo, Iowa. You know, my father's just some guy from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I feel like that can be a lot of the inspiration for some of America's youth coming up that, you can. I agree. I agree. I think that's really important that we we got to keep these stories going again, otherwise they disappear. Jim. Yeah, I uh, I'm excited about the chaplain one. Uh, Doug has graciously given me uh, the first chaplain ever uh, taken captive uh, in the U uh, history of the U.S. military. Uh, his name was uh, Eugene. L <laughs> I just had a brain <laughs> freeze. I think it's Eugene Lewis or something like that. Uh, and I'm researching him and, you know, same thing, just a humble background. He was uh, awarded the uh, Silver Star. He was awarded a Distinguished Service Cross and he was the first chaplain ever uh, taken. So I can't wait to be talking about it six months from now. Okay. I got a minute to go. Dwight, I go. I'm happy that this is uh, a viable series. Uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, my contribution and being the, uh, uh, the chaplain book. Okay. Doug, you get the final word. Okay. Well, the thing I love about this is not all our heroes got the Medal of Honor and most of them are not going to get upgrades, but you can't sneeze at a Distinguished Service Cross or a Navy Cross. You know, the only difference between a Navy Cross or Distinguished Service Cross and the Medal of Honor is often the clerk that typed up the reports. Uh, silver stars, even soldiers' medals, Navy Marine Corps medals, and even down to letters of commendation. 
uh, we're recognizing some of the heroes whose stories would otherwise be forgotten. That's it. Absolutely. I want to thank all you gentlemen for being on Veterans Radio today. The book, again, is Beyond Belief, True Stories of U.S. Navy Heroes That Defy Comprehension. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it lots of different places. I encourage you to go out and get this book. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for being on the program. Uh, I've got to wrap this up, so I want to thank our audience today for listening to Veterans Radio. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can go to our website. We've got 700 programs now archived up on uh, veteransradio.net. If you have a story that you would like us to talk about, send me an email. It's dale at veteransradio.net. If you'd like to become a sponsor or you want to you know, be a sponsor of our Medal of Honor series or something along those lines or just contribute some buddy money, go to veteransradio.net, click on Support Veterans Radio. We could u- certainly use your support. We are now a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Coming to the end of the program next week is a Rotorhead show, so tune in. This is Dale Thronberry for Veterans Radio. Until then, you are dismissed. <laughs>